in swinger. Oh, oh and that's a goal! The Republic of Ireland oh. have scored! John Egan with his first ever international goal! What a moment for Stephen Kenny! Full live commentary of the Republic of Ireland against Lithuania this Tuesday on OTB Sports Radio. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now you're welcome along. Monday evenings off the ball. Joe Malloy with you this evening. We are stacked with a quality lineup between now and 10 o'clock. Damien Delaney will be on the football show talking Ireland-Belgium. Kevin Kilban will join us from Canada. They have qualified for their first World Cup since Mexico 86. Manny over there calling it the Kilban bounce. We look forward to that after 9 o'clock. Women's Six Nations round one disappointment at the RDS for Ireland. Keen Tracy will be here in studio after 8 o'clock on Monday Night Rugby. And we've got you covered on the GAA front as well. Billy Joe Padden this hour talking about the football. Eddie Brennan on the hurling semi-finals after 8 o'clock. 53106, the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, good evening. Evening, Joe. And David McIntyre, come on in. Hey, lads, how are you? Have you bumped into anyone today, Dave, where the first thing you didn't say was, what about Will Smith, eh? <laughs> um, well, I have, actually. But certainly at the earlier hours of the day, that was the top main, certainly around the breakfast table this morning. And on the school run, it was the main topic of conversation. Um, what was your take on last night's events I, 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 I mean like ultimately Chris Rock is there to make fun of people in the audience in the main and everybody's there on that understanding now did he say something which was definitely mean yes for sure initially it seemed Will Smith laughed and then presumably off camera eye contact with his wife suggested she found this had crossed the line but then his reaction is just way OTT I mean you can shout something which he did ultimately or you could even walk up on stage and say something in Chris Rock's ear or even publicly and and really almost hold a mirror up to the meanness of it but I don't know to physically hit someone I was like what what are you doing and then um I don't know, his speech uh, suggested a man uh, struggling to juggle his various emotions. So uh, the whole thing was uh, bizarre. My main take was bizarre. I, 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 I can't think of anything in that vicinity, especially at something like the Oscars. So, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not strongly taking Team Chris Rock or Team <laughs> uh, Will Smith. But, I mean, like a starting point would be you go and hit someone, that's not great. Yeah, um, I think he's bang out of order, to be honest. But it was a pretty nasty gag that Chris Rock had come up with and definitely Will Smith was within his rights to pull him up on it, call him out on it in some other way. But to walk up on the stage and clock him was completely unnecessary. It was thuggish behaviour, really, and not what you want want to be seeing of someone in his position. But the Oscars has fallen off the face of the planet as regards relevance in recent years. And here we are on Monday nights off the ball. It's back. The main topic of conversation on the news round is the Oscars. The problem problem is the one that you have uh, is the same that I have. You are now more au fait with the best animated feature nominees than you are with the best uh, uh, feature film nominees. And I think I speak for a lot of parents out there, and that's probably the case now, whereby I could tell you intimately what happened in about five of the six uh, animated features, ins and outs, like plot lines, subplots, you know, different bits and pieces, different animated quirks about them. I would struggle to name the best picture nominees because of all of that. It's just literally all kids' films now, that's all I see. Mm. Coda's good by the way anyone seen Coda? I've seen Encanto no. many times Joe 
many, many times. <laughs> I'm sure you have. And learned the words to all the songs. Many times, Dave. Many, many times. And where are you on this whole business, Richie, last night? You just, you just don't hit people. Uh, yeah. Especially yeah. in that subject. Like, I know people are talking about the meanness of Chris Rock's joke. I don't think he was like a chef whereby he's handed out dietary requirements for every single um, attendee. Like, I don't think he would have been au fait with the uh, the issue that, that Jada Pinkett Smith would have uh, with her hair. Um, so I don't think the joke was from a very deep place of meanness. It was just, you know woman has a short hair joke mm. um, but ultimately like again you just don't hit people especially not in those kind of circumstances yeah, it's, like, it's, you, just, you just don't it's extraordinary don't. as well because I mean he's had a long career he's rarely put a foot wrong yeah that's the thing um, it's it's just bizarre it's just bizarre. it's just bizarre carry on to be honest yeah no it is so anyway I just I just felt I mean this is how I started every conversation with everyone so I just felt like I should start it that way <laughs> Uh, the uh, weekend that was then, so we're going to talk to Keen Tracy after 8 o'clock about the Six Nations and some URC action as well. We'll be talking to Damien Delaney about Ireland-Belgium. Uh, Kevin Kilbane will join us from Canada. The Kilbane bounce has really uh, kicked into effect and plenty of GAA as well. Uh, what caught you over the weekend, Dave? Uh, well, I was mainly on rugby duty at the weekend. I was commentating on both Ireland-Wales and France-Italy in the Women's Six Nations Championship, so that uh, was where most of my time was occupied, but I saw a lot of the GA as well last night. I managed to watch the highlights of Ireland-Belgium and uh, a bit of England-Switzerland. Uh, what caught my eye was <clears throat> the real feel-good factor around the Republic of Ireland men's team now. It's, it's just such a difference from a year ago when we had that shocking result against Luxembourg and how quickly things have changed and I'm delighted for that management team because when everybody was calling, well not everybody, that's wrong when there was a significant proportion of the football loving population in this country calling for the management team to be relieved of their duties I was really in the opposite camp so I'm I'm not saying all is rosy and that we're definitely going to qualify for the Euros and that it's a bright new dawn but certainly feeling far more positive and I'm, I think they're just reaping the rewards for mm. the foundations that they were trying to put in place when the arrow was at its darkest um, the other main takeaway I took, I have, would only have watched bits and pieces of women's international rugby over the years but obviously this week I've been paying a lot of attention to it, not just in getting ready for the game but in doing it itself and it doesn't matter whether you're talking under 20s men's test match rugby, women's test match rugby, if you're bigger and heavier and more physical than your opponent you're almost certainly going to win the game. And that was the case in both games that I watched at the weekend, both at the RDS and at Grenoble yesterday. Eventually, the more powerful, physical, superior side ground their opponents deep into the soil, and that ultimately saw them win handy. And um, I, both Italy and, Fra and Ireland, for example, they need to find some bulk from somewhere because they were simply incapable of handling what was being thrown at them physically over the weekend. Yes, two uh, rolling mall tries. It was inevitable that result in the end, even though Ireland had their noses in front for a lot of it at the RDS. And of course, the other highlight for a lot of people, Richie, was that Anthony Barry got the good booing he deserves. <laughs> yeah, it might just have been connected to the lad who was sitting to his right. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting, an interesting moment for sure to see the two of them. Uh, ensconced in a conversation and they're probably like oh crap can the director just please can he just can he, can I look up yet can I look up yet we've been waiting 12 years for this be, 12 years yeah. we've waited for this moment I know it's been a long long time coming and he got everything he deserved but you know what like I was listening to Stephen Kenny's press conference the one he gave to the to the written journalists on Friday before the match and it was a standout line and it's something I guess we'll get to and play the clip of Keith Andrews that I have lined up was um, Stephen Kenny saying that you know we have the players to take on Belgium. 
you know, we have the players to take on Belgium. And it, was just, it, wasn't, it wasn't even a, a defiant statement. It was just a part of a, a greater, you know, point that he was making is that we had players to cause Belgium problems. And for, like, for 10 years or more, we were told by a series of managers, we don't have the players. And those kinds of public utterances bleed into the squad themselves. And the squad can live or die by them. And the squad can, can believe in them. The squad can have a, I'll, I'll prove you wrong moment. But if you're constantly told that, yeah, you're actually good enough and mm. yeah, we can we can do these, it tends to have an effect. And what you're seeing is players who are not necessarily top level players, but they're able to play above themselves when they put on a green jersey. And Kenny's made a point of that, that he wants them to play even better than they tend to do for their clubs. And most of them, it has to be said at the moment, are doing just that. And that was an Ireland side that was almost struck by injuries as, as Belgium were by self-inflicted um, absentees on Saturday. So... There's a lot to be really positive about. I think your point in the psychology is very apt. And it seems even, Dave, someone like Ogbené has turned up at camp a few times, according to Stephen Kenny, and felt a degree of imposter syndrome. I'm playing right wing back for a League One side. I'm not really sure I belong in this company. And mm. management team have gone out of their way to let him know that they think he does and they think he could have a great career in the game. And then it pays dividends. I totally agree with Richie. Uh, successive managers... Effectively defending themselves publicly, and that's what they were doing. And in doing so, they were letting their own team uh, know that they didn't rate them all too highly. Uh, when you think about it, it, was just such a corrosive, awful thing to do. And it was, uh, it was it, toxic. It was awful. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, it would, and it also, I think, it it uh, removed any sense of responsibility and accountability from the players because they were hearing in the build-up to games that they weren't really good enough to take on this opponent and therefore if they didn't and didn't show any real expansive ambition any real intention to go after the game to try and play the game in the right way well the manager certainly wasn't going to hold them to task for that because he's been telling the media and the supporters in the build-up all week that they're not good enough to do it and I'm talking about Trapattoni, I'm talking to Martin O'Neill and I'm talking Mick McCarthy in his second stint consistently told us that we do not have the players to take on the best teams in the world now have we got the best the players to beat them Probably not. Are we good enough to play them at their own game and hold on to the ball for large periods? Absolutely not. But we are good enough when we do have the ball, however fleeting that may be, to cause them problems. Finally, we've got a manager that is telling not just his players, but telling the public at large, the media and the football supporters in this country that it is possible. Mm. And he was doing it when the results were going terribly wrong, when their confidence must be in a place where it's been eroded almost into dust. And yet he was consistently telling them, you are capable of doing this. He's been a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I'm delighted he's got the results now that means every single game is no longer a referendum on his future. Mm. And that we can now look forward to the Nations League with sense of positivity and optimism. I was at a lot of those press conferences in the last decade and I was seething in my seat as someone like Giovanni Trafatoni told me and everyone else in the room that essentially our footballers were too limited to have any real sense of ambition to beat a higher-ranked team. Yeah. He'd never heard of Wes Hoolan at that stage as well. Uh, there's a message in to say that actually the cred were brewing Thierry Henry and not Anthony Barry, which is... Uh, Go away. Good to know. I'm reminded of Gary Lineker last night, I think, tweeted that um, Will Smith should think about playing Ali based on the quality of his strike uh, I think he regretted that with the amount of <laughs> responses in the end. Uh, let's kick on with the news round then. It is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You are starting, Richie, with the utterly bizarre. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, Roman Abramovich was reportedly poisoned following peace talks in Ukraine earlier this month. The Wall Street Journal say that the Chelsea owner was one of three men, Ukrainian MP Rustem Umarov and other, to report symptoms related to a chemical weapons poisoning. They suffered redness and soreness of the eyes and peeling of the skin around their face and hands following talks in Kiev earlier this month. All three are now well and their lives are not believed to be in danger. Sources close to Abramovich say it wasn't clear who had targeted the group. Yeah, extraordinary, Dave. My first thought with this was after you know he's okay and everything jeez he really was involved in peace talks I just thought that was something they made up and then secondly uh, who did this specifically and it seems we don't quite know yet well I certainly never thought that the situation in which he was presenting himself as a peacemaker had been made up I would have thought that would have been a rather bizarre thing to say if you had no involvement and, and there wasn't something going on in the background oh, I, I thought it was I thought it was like <laughs> let me keep Chelsea Right. Okay. Well, maybe you're a, of a more cynically minded uh, setup than I am. I wouldn't have said so previously, but go on. And I'll, I'll, in terms of the, you know who's behind it, it's just utterly bizarre. And I've been mean, often these cases you never find out, but I, mean, I don't really have more to say on it than that. It's a, it's a truly unusual situation, and obviously people from both sides of the peacemaking table were affected by this. So, what the intention was, who was behind it, I, I mean, I'd, I, we'd love to find out, yeah. but I'm not sure we ever will. So uh, the Irish camp speaking today, uh, Richie. Yeah, no new injury concerns for Stephen Kenny ahead of tomorrow night's friendly with Lithuania. Assistant manager Keith Andrews said today that there will be changes out to the side that drew with Belgium on Saturday. Man of the match that night was Chidozi Ogbenya for a performance that included a third goal in five games. Defender John Egan joined the chorus of praise for the Rotherham winger today. I know Chio, we were, at, we were actually at Brentford together. I was there when he signed. Um, so, you know, I already knew what Chio was all about before he... He came into the squad uh, back in the summer, I think it was. Um, he's been a breath of fresh air on and off the pitch. Um, you know, I think he's a, he's a special person. Uh, you know, he's really humble, really hard working, and you know, he came in, got his chance, grabbed it with both hands. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say his performances have, have been you know unbelievable really since he's come into the team. And you know, another goal um, on Saturday will only do him the world of good for his confidence. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's a really top man and, you know, he's shown everybody what a top player he is. Yeah, three goals in five games. He's made a real impact, I think, on and off the pitch. Very popular with fans straight away. Dave has pace. We don't have much pace in this side if there's a, you know, every side's going to have limitations. But uh, for a guy who's playing League One at right wing back to arrive into the international fold every couple of months and perform like this is quite something. Yeah, it, it, I, even, I even think it's doing him a, a disservice in describing as someone that has pace. There's, it's pace with real end product as well because he does manage to get himself past defenders and put himself into really good positions, but he almost always comes up with either a shot on goal or a decent cross or rarely loses possession. I mean, he scored more goals or as many goals for Ireland this season as he has Rotherham, and that's a Rotherham team that are flying. I mean, they're top of the championship. I know they still have a bit of a scrap on their hands to ensure that they come up automatically or from League One into the championship but I'm really reminded and obviously you'll need to be of a certain vintage to remember when Jason McAteer broke into the Ireland squad but the breath of fresh air he was at the time it, it was an ageing squad under Jack Charlton that was getting ready to go to the World Cup in the USA and him coupled with the addition of Phil Babb and Gary Kelly as well suddenly the age profile plummeted we had real pace coming off the bench he had a sort of that cheeky infectious smile as well that Ogbené has and he was someone that children young Irish fans could really look up to Jason McAteer I mean they took, took him to the 
their hearts immediately. I've, I've seen all of those boxes being ticked by Ogbené as well. There's, it's a very similar trajectory, and you would hope that he has as long and as a fruitful career mm. in the green shirt as McAteer had. Brief aside, you didn't read the McAteer interview with Paul Kimmage yesterday, did you? I did. It was fascinating. Wasn't it great? Yeah, it's really great. And even with, where he's talking about Saipan and how he popped up to Keane's room alone at one stage for a chat about things, you could fall under the wrong assumption that they might have never got on and never talked. But clearly, up until that moment, they were comfortable enough where it's like, I'll go into your room and chat to you alone. Yeah, the person that walks on the beach, Edward walks on the beach as well. I mean, I'd never known that. One of the lines in it that really struck me, and it's something that I have found, and I've been lucky enough over the years to co-commentate with so many of the players that would have been in that room in 2002. And McAteer saying that you could line three of us up against the wall and we'll all give you a different account of what happened in that meeting. And that is exactly my experience. I've spoken to four or five guys that were in that room uh, over the last, say, decade. And each of them would tell it a slightly different way. And isn't it amazing what time does to your memory? Everyone's truth is their own truth. Roy Keane's truth is obviously his own truth, as is Mick McCarthy's for what happened in that room. But that I, th- I found that fascinating yeah. as well. Jeez, I'm sure they love hanging out with you. <laughs> oh, great. McIntyre again. Here we go. Was that Tell me about Saipan. You, by the way, in that interview yesterday. <laughs> say, again, say again, Rich. Was that line about Dean Kiley a new one? Because it was a new one on me, whereby um, it was after Keane had his blow-up at McCarthy in the meeting, obviously, in Saipan. And, uh, no, it wasn't new. Sorry, I know what no, you're going to say. Okay, where yeah, where yeah. Kylie offered to do a Kylie job midfield. And says, yeah, I can do a job midfield. And everybody laughs. And McAteer goes, I'm fairly sure that was the actual final straw for Keane when he heard laughter coming from the group and thought it was purely directed at him. Well, uh, that he I, just thought, screw you. Uh, yeah, I, well, McAteer, I think he said, I'm convinced Roy heard that laughter after he left the room. Obviously, he's yeah. never spoken to Roy, so he doesn't know either way. But yeah, Kylie, I mean, it's a typical footballer, black humour, like I'll do a job midfield, Mick. Everyone laughs. So how far away was Roy Keane at that stage from the room? 10 yards, 20, 30, who knows? But uh, yeah, McAteer said I'm convinced he heard that and, and laughed. So, or, or sorry, uh, I wouldn't say he did laugh. I'd say, right, well, screw the <laughs> lot of them. Um, so uh, Keith Andrews then, he was making a rare enough appear- appearance in front of the press. Yeah, he was. And uh, as Ireland looked to stretch their unbeaten run to eight games, something they haven't managed in three years, the Ireland number two was full of admiration for how his manager weathered the early storm. As Ireland boss and Andrews says, their approach is markedly different to his days as a player. The, uh, the Ireland team that I played in was very well organised, very difficult to break down. Um, the main focus was what we did without the ball, I would say. And then there was a, a big reliance on the the technically best players in the team, the ones that had the most ability in an attacking sense, obviously. So it, it was based around that for a manager that probably doesn't, didn't have enough belief in maybe what we could do or maybe was stuck in the way that he really seen the game played and the way he'd always coached the game. Um, but Stephen, obviously, and myself included, see it differently. Uh, and we've obviously tried to take the team in a, in a slightly different direction. I suppose, Dave, that's a fairly fundamental change across football generally. I mean, maybe Guardiola with his split centre-halves has forced it upon uh, the masses. But uh, certainly in the era that we would have grown up in watching our football, uh, a huge number of football teams would have had six, seven, eight, nine pragmatic workmanlike types and then give it to the talented bloke with technique. And that was that was the balance, whereas now everybody needs to play. Yeah, at international level, it maybe it's not quite the, the situation to that same extent. Yeah. Certainly at club level, the standard is a lot lower at international level. And if you have one reasonably 
world-class footballer in your side at international level, he could take you an awful long way. Case in point, Wales against Austria on Thursday evening. Two magical moments for Gareth Bale. That's the game won. And unfortunately, particularly since Robbie Keane's best days were behind him and then subsequently his retirement, we just haven't had that player. And there have been games, many of them in that terrible run under Stephen Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews, where we couldn't buy a goal, let alone a victory, that a Robbie Keane in that situation, they probably would have won several of those games. We would have beat Slovakia, for example, in that playoff semi-final if we'd had a Robbie Keane. So I think it's it, it will still there's always still the potential for a Greece 2004 and Iceland 2016 to achieve something at international level but your point is absolutely valid at club level the well organised side with maybe only a couple of players of reasonable technical ability um, trying to get results week in week out is just not going to cut it anymore mm. uh, so a few interesting texts in uh, Kenny's beaten no team of any substance our reserve Belgian team at the weekend you must have forgotten to how Ireland defeated Germany and Italy under Trapp and O'Neill says Porig and then Gus and Mead similar-ish point knocking Trapattoni O'Neill McCarthy who were all very successful with the Irish team is poor and wrong Kenny deserves time to do a job uh, but don't knock lads who all had great times did uh, great work with the Irish team I think they're fair, fair text to a point but specifically what we were knocking was the public discussion around the team which was well I'd only have so many players like uh, Trabatoni I mean I was in press conferences where he, he literally turned to Italian media and pointed at like the Irish set and said they're not they're not Campione they don't understand and uh, he set the team up accordingly and uh, people like Seamus Coleman not at Euro 2012 Wes Hoolan left out of the camp uh, Trabatoni could have done more that was his style of football effective to a point but you can't say it was perfect either Gus and then Martin O'Neill I mean did a press conference go by without like bemoaning the, the loss of Robbie Keane and yeah Robbie Keane was a huge loss but he wasn't talking up the team enough certainly not the end uh, Mick McCarthy we didn't say anything against actually I'd be, I would be think Mick did on the whole made an unbelievable contribution to Irish football and I think he always defended in the main the players in uh, public I don't know if you boys have any thoughts on those Well in the second stint of Mick I'd I think it would be a stretch to suggest that he really believed we could play when we had the ball and yeah. were in it where we could go out and try and do what Stephen Kenny side were trying to do. Again, those games in particular against Switzerland and against Denmark. I mean, we had two matches. We win one of them, we qualify for the Euros and, they, and we didn't get it done. Now, Stephen Kenny had his chance to qualify for the Euros and he didn't do it either. So, I mean, that's a fair point as well. And the, the two wins against Italy and Germany were both under Martin O'Neill. And Martin O'Neill's first international tournament was a roaring success. And he was a breath of fresh air when he came in and we needed a big change at the time after the last couple of years under trap, which were really poor. But in the last two, 18 months, two years of Martin O'Neill's reign, it was very trap-ish. You know, there was an awful lot of negative speak. There was an awful lot of harking back to the Brian Clough days. There was an awful lot of telling us that, you know, we're we're just, we're up against it here with the underdogs. We don't really have a chance against the better teams. It, that's not to say there weren't great days under those managers. Obviously, there were. But a Martin O'Neill of all people, for me, he had us playing some wonderful stuff at Euro 2016. He's the one guy that really should have believed in subsequent tournaments and qualification campaigns that we were capable of more because he had managed to achieve it with that team. Mm. As an admitted former critic of Kenny, says another texter, I have to say now credit where it's due following a very positive performance, albeit in a friendly. The future undoubtedly looks brighter than it did a few short months ago, which is all very fair. And then a bit of a side issue, but uh, for all the recent negativity about the new Lansdowne Road or Aviva atmosphere, as we saw again on Saturday, it's a fabulous world-class stadium, sensitively designed to accommodate local residents, and it comes into its own and proves its worth when we do have a team to really get behind is a text in. 
But the roar, Joe, for the Alan Brown header was, that was huge. That was properly atmospheric and the crowd were really up in that moment. Yeah, for sure. So, Rich, uh, busy weekend at GAA to try and sum up. Yeah, Waterford management still hope to have Austin Gleeson available for Saturday's Allianz Hurling League final with Cork. Gleeson sent off in yesterday's win over Wexford following an altercation with Simon Donahoe. Waterford will review the footage of the incident tonight before deciding on a potential appeal. While the Division 1 and 2 finals in the Allianz Football League will be played as a doubleheader on Sunday. First up at 1.45, the Division 2 final between Roscommon and Galway. That's followed at 4 by the meeting of, of Kerry and Mayo in the Division 1 final. The dates and times also uh, set for the Division 3 final. That involves Louth and Limerick. It throws in a Cork on Saturday, uh, a Crow Park primary on Saturday at 4.45. And then the preceding match to that is the Division 4 final involving Cavan and Tip. And that one will throw in at half past two, of course. Uh, Dublin and Kildare relegated from Division 1 of the Football League yesterday following respective defeats, meaning there will be no team from Leinster in the top flight next year. Mm. Billy Joe Padden on the way very shortly. Tiger Woods. Yes, uh, this is Manor from Heaven for you, Joseph. Speculation is mounting that Tiger Woods will make his return to golf at next month's Masters. The five-time winner of the Green Jacket remains listed as an active former uh, winner on the Masters website today. Despite his world ranking of 944, Woods is eligible to play as a former winner. He hasn't played competitively since suffering multiple serious injuries in a car crash Late early last year. Speaking of rankings, Scotty Scheffler is the new world number one following his victory last night at the Dolly GC match play in Austin. Seamus Parr's participation at the Masters has also been confirmed. The Waterford golfer reached Saturday's quarterfinals in Texas, jumping him up seven places to 41st in the world, and he will be at Augusta. So uh, amazing for Seamus Parr, like extraordinary 12 months under his belt. The Woods thing, Dave, I mean, look, if he plays, it's amazing because it just adds so much to the week. But, like, what's the point? What, like, what is the point in Tiger Woods potentially uh, setting himself back when he clearly can't win this tournament having played no golf? Like, it's a, it'd be a silly thing to do in some respects. So your feeling would be that he should only turn up if he can win? Well, my feeling would be build towards St. Andrews and play a golf course which isn't one of the most arduous walks in golf, which is what he's attempting to do here for four rounds. Five, if he's going to practice, I presume he is. He's had no competitive golf. He's going to turn up like what can he actually hope to do whereas I think take some more time out like he said just uh, I don't know if you saw him walking at the Hall of Fame speech didn't look good and he said himself he can walk on a treadmill but he can't really walk on a golf course and now he's going to walk Gusta like if you if you want to have a pop at this summer St Andrews is your place and I'd say build up to that properly I just I I don't know I obviously I don't, maybe he's got the full bill of health and he's been told you can go for it and it perfectly coincides with the Masters but it's hard not to think he's just rushing back because of the Masters well, given the fact that the Open, as you say, is at St. Andrews this year, that indicates to me that he has got a clean bill of health because otherwise he wouldn't be coming back. And of all the golf courses in the world, for Tiger Woods to be able to play with little or no practice, it's Augusta National because he knows it so well. Mm. And he's come back 2010, I think he finished fourth. He'd barely played any golf for the got to 12 months, having come back from the knee surgeries. And he showed that under a lot of pressure, because it was in this first real major after all the stuff had come out about his personal life, and he showed that he could still get the ball around the golf course and for relatively few shots in comparison to others in the field. So my feeling would be that if he's still in the field on the Thursday, it's because his body is in decent shape. Game may not be. But, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? He can miss the cut and he's got two competitive rounds under his belt. He might play once or twice more before the Open. I don't think there's a chance that he would be going there if there was a risk that whatever uh, lingering issues around the leg injuries and the ankle injuries he had were 
potentially aggravate it. I really don't think he'd be going anywhere near a competitive golf tournament. Okay, that's all fair. That's all fair. I'll, 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 I'll genuflect before those points and, and bow down. Because <laughs> uh, Peter Laurie did say to us last week, talking to people in the game of golf, that he'd heard, yeah, Woods going to tee it up, which is just, like, it's just insane. He can't be dull, no matter how, it's impossible. Yeah, and it's just going to add so much to the week, in particular the build-up if he's there. It's Look, he still, um, he still moves the needle, as that well-worn adage goes, mm. and it's going to be the case long after he retires as well. But uh, uh, once turning up for those practice rounds, given that he's probably going to miss the cut, they, the, the practice rounds would nearly be his box office as what's going to be happening on Thursday and Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Richie, because I've got to go, one very last quick story. This Because we won't have time to cover it tonight. So the Saudi Arabian situation with the Formula One, like, like it seems half the reason they raced, according to reports, is they were worried about being let out of the country almost. Yeah, there were talks obviously ongoing around the weekend about this, but Formula One drivers are to meet with the sports bosses again following the decision to race in Saudi Arabia at the weekend. Officials made the decision to press on despite a rocket attack at a fuel depot seven miles from the circuit in Jeddah. Uh, drivers and team principals were given assurances regarding their safety for a race eventually won by the reigning world champion Max Verstappen. We had a lot of guarantees that of course we would be safe, um, <clears throat> but I think after this weekend, all the drivers also together we will speak with F1 F1 and of course also team bosses to to see what's what's happening for the future. Yeah, we might do a piece on that at some stage this week. It's a fairly extraordinary situation. Phil Mickelson could have told them. Uh Dave McIntyre, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Richie McCormick, thank you. Nice and Joe. The news round on off the ball. With Gillette. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette. Made of what matters.